0: When I was four years old, I was scared of wolves. Given that I had never actually seen a wolf, um, except in cartoons, and given that we lived in the suburbs where wolves were not exactly roaming the, the streets, this was not a rational fear. But who said fear is irrational? Uh, I was scared of wolves, and so uh, it would often give me nightmares. Or as I'm trying to fall asleep, I would be convinced that on the, you know, I could see images uh, on the curtains of wolves that were outside the 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 window, and I was traumatized by this. Now, my my sisters, I shared a bedroom with my sisters when I was young, and uh, they they had a small bed, and, a, and one of them was in a crib, and they were over by the window. I was I was. Uh, You know, I I realized that the wolf got in probably would go after one of them first. I had very mixed emotions about this, but I thought it probably, not proud of this, but I thought it would probably give me another couple seconds to get out of the room. I'm scared of wolves. And um, I would cry out. My mom would sometimes come in to comfort me, and she would would assure me that there were no wolves that were going to get me at night. And that would usually work, and I would go to sleep, except... I did have to decide who I was going to believe. I had to make decisions about how I was going to respond, how I was going to think about what was going on, who I was going to trust. And as it turns out, that is a decision that we have to make over and over and over again. And as we think about resetting, it is a decision that comes up uh, in our lives. So um, we are in the third message of this series called Reset, and the the topic is all about Joshua and this idea that the Jews are resetting, they're being given a second chance to go into the Promised Land. So in the first sermon, uh, I noted that the big theme of the book of Joshua is that trusting God and obeying God is the way forward. And I talked about second chances. It was sort of an overview. And I talked about second chances, noting that that uh, Moses had been in charge, but the book opens with Moses' death. The Jews have been 40 years in the wilderness, they're in the desert. They've now come back to the same spot, the east bank of the Jordan River, where they had not crossed over. And now the question is, are they going to enter the promised land? Are they going to trust God? Are they going to face their fears? Are they going to do the right thing? So that was the first message. Last week, we were in um, Joshua chapter 3, and we were watching as they actually came to the banks of the Jordan River. It's a big, epic scene, very fun scene. And uh, Joshua is now in charge. And Joshua's a good guy, by the way. His name means Yahweh is salvation. And the book of Joshua will end with, with this great quote that you probably have heard or seen on posters. You, you decide what you're going to do. As for me and my house... We are going to serve the Lord. Joshua is a good guy. And although there seems to be a little bit of hesitation on the banks of the Jordan River, he eventually gives the order and the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant step into this raging, mile-long, flooded river. They step into the river. They can't swim, but they step into the river. They trust God. The water backs up. The people cross over. So um, that was last week. And, and I spoke last week a bit about the fact that although the Christian life is, to my way of understanding at the moment, more of a slow pull, more more of a long obedience in the same direction, more of a, of a consistent determination to, to do the right thing, to engage in the spiritual habits and practices, and, and that growth comes that way there are these inflection points, there are these moments, there are these decisions uh, that we have to decide if we're going to step up or not, whether we're going to step forward or not, and they matter a great deal. And so we talked about this, and I uh, suggested that, you know, there's, I don't know what your Jordan River is, but I said, you know, as we regroup, take a step. Meant we had rocks because there had been rocks, altars had been built. Uh, so we had rocks that we offered to everybody and then I also said uh, that there are two, two ways you might take a step that are not about rocks. One is you could decide to be baptized, sign up for that, or secondly you could decide to get into a small group. And by the way we have uh, virtual small groups if that is helpful to you. So today we now come to Joshua chapter 5, and uh, the people have now crossed the Jordan River, and they are camped on the other side. Now they're on the west bank of the Jordan River, and in front of them is the city of Jericho. And uh, a few things have happened since, uh, since Joshua chapter 3. One is uh, all the men have been circumcised. Uh, This is sort of reaffirming the covenant that God had made with Abraham that included uh, the promised land. So the the people have stepped up and sort of reaffirmed their commitment uh, to be trusting God, trusting the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Secondly, they've they've all participated in the Passover celebration. And uh, this um, this had not happened during we don't think during those forty years in the desert, and uh, but it's a it's an affirmation it's a reminder of the whole sacrificial system that the angel of death was held back because of the innocent blood, the blood of an innocent lamb had been shed so that they though guilty could go free so they have reinstated the Passover celebration. And the third thing is that the manna that had been falling every day, well, six days a week for uh, for forty years, the manna from heaven has ceased. It's now a new chapter. They now have a new challenge, Jericho. And I have been to the uh, to the ruins of Jericho. It's they're not very excavated, um, and and what's there. Um, sort of made a splash in archaeological news decades ago because uh, as they started to excavate this site, this tell, they, uh, they determined that the walls had, had fallen outward, And this is why they thought it's in the right location for Jericho. This is why they thought that this was Jericho. Because, of course, back in those days, you know, people would all, you'd build a wall and your homes were inside the wall. And every night you would close the gate to protect yourself from the bad guys. And then you would go out, obviously, for farming or fishing or other things were outside the the wall. So when a a city collapses, usually it's because the bad guys are going to push the walls in, right? And then they're going to charge. But the walls of Jericho famously fall out. And so uh, this is understood to be the city of Jericho. It's about not quite 10 acres spot. And I have been there, um, but um, I'm getting ahead of myself. In our text today, Joshua does not um, know that the walls are going to fall out. He doesn't know how God is going to engineer this. He doesn't know any of this. He's out walking around at night. And it's pretty clear that the reason he is walking around at night is because he can't sleep. And it doesn't take a lot to imagine that the reason he can't sleep is because he has no plan for taking Jericho. Um, He's nervous about this now 40 years earlier Joshua had been one of the 12 spies that had gone into the land he and Caleb had said yes the people are like giants uh and it's uh, the people are scary but God will give us this land so he's seen the people they're you know Shaquille O'Neal size and so he remembers this from 40 years ago so you've got huge People, you've got a defensive posture. They've got the advantage. The Jews have uh, no supply lines that are going to keep them uh, fed and and uh, cared for during their if they lay siege and try and starve uh, the the people in Jericho out. So he needs a plan. He's got a he's he's got a battle. He's got people that have no battle experience. They have no offensive weapons. They've got nothing going for them right now. And so he's a little bit um, fearful. And we can tell that he's fearful because if you read through the book of Joshua, God keeps saying to him, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Uh, Have courage. And that's a pretty good clue that Joshua needs to be encouraged and that Joshua is fearful. So the text keeps going over and over. And just as a Little bit of an aside in the margins. These are these are crazy times and challenging times to try and lead any kind of company or school or anything at all. Church and uh, clearly one of the suggestions from this passage would be that one of the ways leaders can lead well, one of the gifts leaders can give to people, is a non-anxious presence. Uh, it's not it's not good to see the uh, Commander of the Army uh, if the Commander of the Army is scared. And so uh, Joshua is a little scared. He's in charge. They've crossed the Jordan, but that was yesterday's gig. Now he's got a new challenge. They've got to do this. Uh, Everybody's paying attention. What's going to happen? You can see that he's quite exercised. So he can't sleep. He's walking around. And as he is walking around trying to work out a plan, um, he runs into somebody. And this is what we read in Joshua chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho... He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our enemies? And the man said, No. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So please understand the person that Joshua meets is Jesus. In um, the morning devotions that I have been doing since COVID hit, uh, we've been recently going through the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is a book written in the 60s to a Jewish audience that is facing some sort of crisis. And the theme of the book is that Jesus is amazing. Jesus is bigger than, better than, anyone, anything. Jesus is better than Moses, than Abraham, than the law, than the prophets, than the angels. Jesus is better than anyone and anything. Well, one of the... (laughs) So, one of the points here is that part of the reason that Jesus is better than anyone, bigger than anyone, is that Jesus is God and he is eternal. Christ's life did not begin with Mary and Joseph. In the beginning, was the Word, Logos, Christ. In the beginning was Christ, the second member of the Godhead. He was in the beginning with the Father. Uh, so in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning w- with the Father. All things were created through him. Nothing that was created was not created through him. He is the creator. He was there at the very beginning. He is God. So I I, I, I share that to say that... Um, At the incarnation, the Christmas miracle, God, the son who existed in heaven as God, becomes a man. But he has always existed. There was never a moment that Jesus didn't exist. So, he existed during the period of the Old Testament. And occasionally, he made cameo appearances. Now, the last two weeks... I have talked about uh, the Old Testament being uh, full of these foreshadowing events that point ahead to Jesus. That the Bible is not a random collection of stories and inspirational tales; it's got a big unifying theme, and there's a whole lot of the Old Testament that is that is pointing ahead to the New Testament. It's pointing ahead to Jesus, and so I, you know, use this 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 uh refrain jesus is the true and better which is i mean it's been used by pastors for hundreds and hundreds of years trying to help pull things together jesus is the new and better excuse me jesus is the true and better adam right who adam failed his temptation in the garden jesus passed his temptation in the wilderness adam's sin was imputed to us christ's righteousness can be imputed to us Jesus is the second Adam; He's the true and better Adam. Jesus is the true and better Abel, whose blood was innocently shed, and it cries out, but not for our condemnation, for our acquittal. Right? I've been going through this. Jesus is the true and better Moses. Jesus is the true and better Abraham. Jesus is the true and better Jonah. Jesus is the true and better Noah. Jesus is the true and better Temple. Jesus, I've I've been trying to make this point, including saying. Jesus is the true and better Joshua. He is the one who who is going to conquer and and deliver the promised land for the people of God. So I want to say, when I say that that Jesus makes appearances in the Old Testament, I'm saying something different than that Jesus foreshadows Christ. Excuse me, that, that there are events that foreshadow Christ. Here what I'm saying is, There are times such as appearing to Abraham before Abraham and Sarah had conceived Isaac. There's a few angels that appear. One of them is the angel of the Lord and says to Abraham, this time next year, you know, your wife will give birth to a son. And and, uh, Sarah, who's hiding in the tent, hears this and laughs. And laughter is the name. Hebrew is Isaac. So she laughs and, you know, Yes, the joke was on her. She was about to be pregnant at 90. And then uh, we've got another situation in which uh, Jacob wrestles with uh, an angel of the Lord, Jesus. And uh, we've got another case where Jesus shows up in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So there are these times that Jesus manifests himself in a pre-incarnate state. And this is one of them. And we know that this is one of them. We know that the angel of the, of the army of the Lord is Jesus because, first of all, uh, Joshua worships him. And angels are under very strict orders not to accept worship. And there's no rebuke here. And additionally, the language that is used when, when, uh, when Joshua says, what should I do, the words that are given by the commander of the Lord's army to Joshua, is, "Take off your sandals for your feet from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy." This is exactly the same language that was used when Moses is talking to the theophany, the, to the manifestation of God, the burning bush when he's getting called. So we have these we call them theophanies. Occasionally if it's Jesus, we have Christophanies where God manifests his presence in some way. So, this is Jesus who is manifesting himself and there's two big things two big takeaways from this for you today for me today as we think about this whole reset the first thing for you to understand is the fact that this is Jesus right that Joshua comes in contact with this man who's taken out his sword which is a obviously he's a military person and he's ready to do battle it's not that his sword is she is sheathed he's got his sword in his hand, he's actively engaged, and and Joshua says, are you for, I mean, what are you doing here, but are you, are you for us? Like, are you, are you on our side, or are you on their side? And he says, no, right, neither, wrong question. So, the first thing to understand is that when Joshua figures out that this is the that this is God. That this is Jesus. That this is, the, this is the angel of the Lord's army that is here. This changes everything because Joshua now realizes. I'm not in charge. <laughs> I, this isn't my problem. Conquering Jericho. I, we've got this. God has faithfully shown up. God in Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. When God calls Joshua, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua, you're now in charge. Joshua, he says, chapter 1, verse 9, Joshua, be strong and courageous. I will be with you. Be of good courage. I will never leave you. I will be with you. And here in this crisis, there is this moment where, where Joshua gets to sort of see behind the veil. And he sees that God is there. And by the way, this is, this is not the only time something like this happens. So in 2 uh, Kings chapter 6, there's an event where Elisha uh, is, and his servant have been surrounded during the evening by, at night by this army by Ben-Hadad. And in the morning, when Elisha's servant goes out to get, wa- to get water, he looks up and he sees all the enemy that have surrounded them, and he and he panics and he runs back into Elisha and he says, "Elijah, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. We're going to die." And Elisha says, "No, there are more with us than there are with them." And then he prays, "God, open his eyes." And the eyes of the servant are open, and he sees the army of the Lord that's there. 2 Kings chapter 18, there's another uh, uh, situation. Hezekiah uh, is surrounded by the Assyrians, and the Assyrians are taunting him, and they say, your God can't deliver you. And it says, uh, the angel of the Lord shows up that night. And the, the city of Jerusalem is surrounded by almost 200,000 soldiers. And it says, the angel of the Lord showed up that night, and in the morning, uh, they found that the, the Assyrians had been wiped out. In Garden of Gethsemane, we get a similar kind of statement from Jesus when um, uh, Peter—they've they've come to arrest him—and Peter take, takes out his sword and he chops off the ear of, of, one, of, the, uh, of one of the guards, one of the Roman soldiers. And uh, Jesus says, uh, "Peter, Peter, you know, uh, put, put the sword back down. Um, I got this. And if I needed help." Uh, he doesn't say it with quite this attitude, but you can imagine um, probably a little bit of the uh, of the the tenor of this. If I needed your help, right? I could call on legions of angels, right? Like I don't need your help, Peter, with a sword. I've got this. There is an army of the Lord, and 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 here we see that Joshua has insight into the kind of supernatural support that he enjoys the second point is the same as the first so point one is that the arrival of the angel of the lord changes everything and point two is the arrival of the angel of the lord changes everything now same point but from a very different angle on the one hand i'm saying joshua gets to relax i'm not in charge I'm not in charge. I don't have to come up with a plan for taking Jericho. At the same time, everything changes when he realizes who he is talking to, and the, this the angel of the of the army of the host, the angel, the the commander of the army of the Lord. When he is asked by Joshua. Um, Are you for us or for our enemies? And he says, no, neither. And and then Joshua understands, oh my goodness, this is God that has shown up. He now understands, you don't recruit, I don't recruit, you don't recruit God to be on your side. That's not the way this plays. That's not what the commander says. The the commander in essence says, the question is, are you going to be on my side. And that is a very good point for us to ponder. And let me suggest that as you reset, there's a big question for you to ask, and that is, am I ready this lap to sign up for God's agenda? At the risk of... um, at the risk of upsetting cat lovers, something I seem to do once every other year or so, let me say that you want to act like a dog. So dog lovers know that if you care for a dog, you feed the dog, you walk the dog, you pet the dog, uh, the dog looks at you and says, wow, you're great, you must be God, and gives you loyalty. And those that have cat I don't think you're a cat owner. I think, you know, I don't think that's the way it's understood to work. But those who live with cats know that if you care for cats and pet cats and feed cats and let cats in and out as they want to go in and out, that um, they think, this is wonderful. I must be a god. And uh, that's sort of the demeanor that you get with a lot of cats. I want to say, um, don't make that mistake, right? Right? understand who is God and understand whose agenda matters. Now, God is for you. God is for you. God loves you. God created you in his image. God is for you. I've been reading the prodigal son um, this week in one of my devotional readings, Luke 15, and it's such an amazing passage. Poorly understood uh, by many, but the shocking thing in that first century, and there's a, a, a scholar who came out about 15 years ago, he'd, an American, he'd spent his entire life, he's a New Testament scholar, he'd spent his entire uh, life in the Middle East and um, working as a missionary, and he came back with all these insights about uh, Middle Eastern culture. And the shocking, shocking thing in the parable of the, uh, of the prodigal son is that it's really all about the older son. But it's also the the most shocking thing to happen in that parable is the father's response to the wayward son returning. Because um, the son has dissed the father. The son has basically said to the father, drop dead. The son has said, I don't care about you. I only care about myself. I don't care about the family. I only care about myself. He takes the money. He goes, you know, ends up in the pigsty. Uh, comes back. The father is waiting. The father is watching. The father loves the son and is looking forward, hoping that the son will return. And when he sees the son far off, he runs to the son. The the father figure there is God. This This is the image that God is giving of his care for you and me. Prodigals, right? We've gone our own way. We've been selfish. God runs in order to embrace you. God is for you. I believe that. But the question is not, is God for you? The question is, are you for God? My experience is that this mind shift from, I am praying to God that God would bless my plans, to, I am asking the Lord would allow me to be part of his plans, this is a big shift. I did not, as I've shared, uh, my faith conversion was long and arduous and, and I, I didn't ever have a moment where I finally figured I'd stepped over the line. I believe that that's how it happens, but it, it went unmarked in my life. But I had a pretty dramatic uh, shift in my thinking years later, embarrassingly a lot later, when I came to realize this really isn't about me. Like, this really, really isn't about me. This is about him. And uh, I need to stop trying to recruit God onto my team, and I need to ask if I can be on his team. And I need to yield to his plans. Many Christians think they're signing up for a certain kind of deal. God, you bless me. Give me wealth and power and happiness and joy and good kids and and easy easy life, and uh, and I'll give you credit. It's not really the the way the deal works. I I perhaps God cuts that deal with some, but it wasn't the deal He gave to Job, wasn't the deal He gave to Jesus, wasn't the deal He gave to Paul, wasn't the deal He gave to Peter, wasn't the deal. I mean, I could just go down the list in my Saturday morning. Church history, hundred inflection points. I, I we're only on uh, four, uh, but we've already had uh, this. This Saturday, we had Justin, the early earliest apologist, the earliest person to try and defend the Christian faith. is he's known as Justin Martyr. Martyr's not his last name, but he was martyred. And uh, I recorded already next week's. So it's uh, Polycarp, an early uh, church bishop who also does some amazing things, ironic, wonderful guy, but is also martyred. And I realize um, I'm, I'm going to have to change my uh, theme or you're going to go, wow, I don't want to just keep reading about these incredibly important people who, who die for their faith. But it happens. It has happened over time. And I, I, don't, I don't expect that to happen to us. But I want you to understand there's great freedom that comes when we say, I actually am not about my plans. I want to be about his plans. And I am am good with whatever his plans are because this plays out for eternity. This is a win. I want to be faithful. So I want to say to you look, there's a reset of some sort that's coming. You're going to have to figure out which voices you're going to trust. You have to figure out whether you're going to trust God more than your fears. You're going to have to figure out whether it's going to be your agenda or his agenda. And I want to suggest that the, 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 the question to take away from Joshua chapter 5 is not, is God on my side? But am I on God's side? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... Uh, Big events, uh, clearing clearinghouse events, such as uh, what you orchestrated with Joshua. Lord, may we have eyes to see you moving in our life and in the lives of other things, in the lives of others, and, and in in our culture. May may you also privilege us by re- recruiting us and using us in your kingdom. We apologize and repent for our small plans and our very self-absorbed agendas. Help us to be about your agenda. Help us to understand who you are. Help us to yield as we reset. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.